Um, if it's solid red. Yeah, right on, right on time. 18 minutes left. Yeah, perfect. So we're going to talk about uh, leadership today in, at the table. Um, and then we'll talk about, I'll talk about leadership a little bit, Ben. And you can come in and then you can talk about membership some. Okay. If you're cool with that. And then we can chat about Tyler. Uh, i got to get some things clear. <laughs> got to record this for Sharon. Sharon. <laughs> I'm fixing everything today. <laughs> So friends, um, we pray. God, uh, thanks for this community of people. Thank you for the grace to um, thank you for the grace to start 18 minutes late. For the grace to give people permission to show up when they can. For the enjoyment we get being together, and for the work you're doing in our community by your Holy Spirit. We love you, and in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's two kind of dominant sort of leadership paradigms in uh, the church. And these are <clears throat> obviously caricatured, but I'll just sort of um, throw them up there quickly as a way to distinguish kind of what, how we're seeing leadership in the church. The first is sort of a hierarchical top-down. So there's the senior pastor, right? And they sit um, at the top in their parking space, corner office, right? And then under them is like the uh, executive assistant, and she's sort of the uh, the gatekeeper to the senior pastor, right? And it's usually a man and a woman in those roles, by the way. Right. Your your pronouns betray the way it normally works, right? Did I say he and she? You did. <laughs> well, looky there. <laughs> uh, and then you've got sort of a, sometimes he's got like a core team. He with like a, an executive pastor. Who else goes in here? Uh, youth uh, pastor. Yeah, sometimes the youth pastor, if they've been there 40 years, they're there, they're being groomed the senior pastor. Sometimes uh, they're more of a director. Uh, <laughs> star lady who sits on the meetings with all the female youth pastors. Oh, okay, so the women's <laughs> pastor over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like, okay, so the, so the one, one paradigm is there's an org chart, a hierarchical org chart. It's kind of like the business model CEO. And it's very top down, yeah. right? Okay. Um, <clears throat> then you've got a, like a reaction to that, where there's like one person who's kind of leading, and they may call themselves pastor, but sometimes they say, "Just call me Jim." <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they don't want any titles. Even if their name's not Jim. <laughs> he was a nice guy, Jim. Just call me Jim. It's a weird pattern you <laughs> see out there. Um, uh, and, and, and sort of there's sort of just this um, community of equals, right? Uh, so this person's equal and this person's equal. And it's kind of a flat leadership structure. Now, sometimes you've got this, uh, th uh, this structure, the hierarchical structure sort of uh, architecture. But then because they're polity, polity means the way they organize themselves, is congregational. It means the senior pastor doesn't have any real power. So the senior pastor basically... You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Maybe you should leave as part of the <laughs> so, so, so senior pastor in a congregational setting basically um, helps, leads the democracy, right? So congregational is like church democracy. So decisions are put up for votes. You go with the majority. The senior pastor basically brings things to votes, right? Um, usually can, senior pastor can get removed by an elder board who kind of co-leads with the senior pastor. So then I would say that 
if you have the senior pastor kind of top down, like the congregational model in uh, caricatured, right, but just to give us distinction and clarity, would be like um, flat. Like there is a leader, but really the power is with the voting populace. So should we put, should we change our, should we change the vision of our church from like an attractional church doing things for the people who come here? Should we have a more intentional presence in the neighborhood and change our budget and change our signage and change our website? Well, that can't be leadership leading that. We put that up to a vote and the masses decide if we're going to do that or not. That makes sense? Is that accurate, Brian? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, you guys recognize these two kind of models of leadership? All right. So in these models of leadership, friends, um, uh, there's a couple assumptions made about power and authority. Power is a limited commodity. And authority is something that we have to sort of like fight for. Like we're carving out space, right? So, so power is a there's a zero sum game. If Deb has power, I have less, right? And if if so, if I can consolidate the power here, then I dispense it from my position in the hierarchy, right? Here, the power is distributed, right? But everybody has an equal voice, basically by their vote. Yeah. Some voices speak louder than others. Yeah, totally. So yeah, totally. So then, then, then there's like sometimes power plays and things kind of get passive aggressive, yeah. right? Backdooring <laughs> things, right? Totally. Um, there's parties involved, right? Yeah, there's factions involved, right? Um, the way we see authority at the table is a little different. Uh, we see authority. So okay, so this is flat. And this is top down. We see authority. We call it, for lack of a better word, <laughs> center out. So, so we see um, authority as a charismatic thing that uh, Christ has given gifts to his body, church, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets. Um, to he's given people to the church. So the gifting isn't my ability. The gifting is my person. Ephesians four says. Um, to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So we see uh, that authority is centered in the Holy Spirit in persons who make up apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. teachers. Um, and we, so authority for us then is invested in persons who are operating their spirits. One of the reasons last week, Alicia, why I named evangelism as one of your giftings. Um, and so then uh, the ordained persons, which would be Ben and I, in our uh, in our congregation. Our job isn't to consolidate power and to find minions who will do our bidding, nor is our responsibility to deny that we have authority and sort of make sure everybody feels like they are on equal footing with us. But rather, like our job 
as, as leaders, as pastors, is to cast vision for this center space and look for people that God has gifted our community to have and invite them in. Inviting them into the center, a place where they can own their authority, own their giftedness in our community. In doing so, in a manner and to a degree which, which is good for them. Right? So Deacon loves science. He's nine. And uh, he's got his little science kits, right? Now, I'm not going to give him uh, ammonia and bleach and say, hey, have at it. See what you can make. See what, see what can happen. Because that's not responsible. Like, he can't handle that. He doesn't have the knowledge for what's going on there. Right? So, I, as his dad, like, my job is to empower him to the degree to which it's good for him. Mm -hmm. With his giftings and callings, right? So that's maybe uh, a patronizing metaphor, but uh, maybe a little condescending. But like Ben and I, like that's, that's our calling here, not to consolidate power, not to divest ourselves and say, no, 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 we're just like you, but to own it and say, yeah, we've been given authority, and power isn't a zero-sum game. Actually, God is giving as much power to our community as we can handle. And so, and so Ben and I then, our job as leaders isn't to make sure we have people under us or nobody over us, but rather to say, come join us. Come join us and lean alongside us. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So then, so then we're looking to get as many people into here as who are called and as who can bear it. Who can handle it, right? Um, a couple of practices that help us with this. And then I want to have some conversation. And you've heard us talk about this before, uh, but one is uh, mutual submission. Uh, mutual submission just describes, uh, also in Ephesians, um, uh, Ephesians, was it five? Where Christ, uh, where, where Paul says that, um, that we are to submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. It's right before the household goes, right? Mutual submission, we could talk about this for weeks, but essentially this means this. Like in DNA groups, we train ourselves to notice our kairoses, right? Mutual submission means that I lead out of naming and owning my kairoses. Right? Not naming and owning your kairoses that I have to convince you and control you to own and take good you need to take responsibility for this, right? So um, this week, like this happens a lot of time. Like, um, like Ben, we, we kind of debrief on our worship time every week. And this week, uh, Ben's like, hey, I have to own a Kairos. I get really irritated and agitated when our announcements go on really long, right? Now there's another way to handle that, which is, like, I'm going to prepare a speech for why our announcements shouldn't go longer than two minutes. We've got to get this under control, guys. And I'm going to determine who's at fault for this and confront them and call them out. And then I'm going to set up rules and rubrics for how we don't go over two minutes. And I have to, and it'd be best if I can convince you that this is the way to do it. So I get a good apology for it, I get some good propaganda. But if I can't convince you, then I'm going to play my pastor card and just say this is the way it's going to be. That's kind of a top down way to do it. But the scenario we do is, hey, I'm irritated by this, by how it goes on and on and on and on. And I just want to submit that to you all. Can, can you help me discern why I'm irritated? Yeah. 
right? Because mutual submission presumes that I don't necessarily dismiss what I notice, perceive, or trust what I notice and perceive, but I name it and submit it to Christ and community, to other people, what I notice and perceive. Knowing that I'm around a group of people that uh, want to seek the kingdom in that with me. Yeah. And we're trusting there that God's at work in my life. Like, this might be mostly my irritation, and there's something that I need to hear some good news about, about this, for some, you know, you know. Or it could be also that God's at work in the church, you know, and there, there could be something to it, right? So we, we learn to basically name and own things because God's at work in my life and in the church, and I don't know what this kairos means. I, I've, I've decided, I'm not going to just decide what it means. Like, oh, yeah, if I'm irritated, it means something's wrong out there, right? Because irritation... Isn't a fruit of the spirit. Right, right. right. <laughs> That's true. Contrary to, Contrary know, to yeah. how we often... So yeah, so if I'm irritated, I know it, it, there might be something wrong out there, but there's definitely something wrong here. And so I have to own it in that way so we can discern which is which and what's happening and how do we, you know, what do we do as a community and, when, and what do I do as someone who's irritated? Yeah. And so, so the, second thing, the second thing here is can you discern? Yeah. Like, I don't just trust that because something bothers me or because I'm excited about something, that that's God speaking to me. It may be. Maybe. But I trust that God cares about more than I do. And that God hasn't just given me his Holy Spirit. It's not up to me to, like, figure this out and then, like, you know, lead in a way that people want to follow. But rather, like, hey, if this is true, if we are going on too long, if it's not serving us well, I think that can rebuild the other people, too, and come to a consensus. Um, all right, so these are two of practices. I don't know if you add any other practice here to that. Um, but let me just name a couple things that we're pressing up against in this, and then, um, and then I'm going to throw it open for conversation. See what this is like stirring for you guys. So, um, one of the things that keeps coming up in this class, and it's something that increasingly I'm finding important to name in my life, is how uh, we, we, aren't, we aren't starting a church, we aren't being the church in a cultureless setting. Like, we are in a culture, 21st century Western culture, right, late modernity, post modernity, whatever you want to call it, uh, that has um, definitive cultural influences. Uh, and two of, two of the biggest cultural influences that I'm reckoning with, again, this is me owning my houses rather than telling you, just like how you need to have, uh, two of the things that work against this and why this, I think, is a good model for us to help spiritually form us would be, uh, one is uh, patriarchy. And the other is consumerism. No. What else? Yep. You did it. H. <laughs> what other letters can I put in this word? So by patriarchy, I just mean I mean the uh, idolatry of power in in masculine gender in a hierarchy that seeks to subjugate and oppress and dominate, and it exists in people and in structures and systems. Consumerism, 
I mean the, the uh, economic sort of drive to maximize uh, what my benefit for my investment and to get as much as I can for the least amount. Now, if, if, if I'm driven by sort of a consumeristic mindset, like I want to find the church that's going to give me the greatest return on my investment, this works really well for me. Because I pay somebody to take responsibility for everything. Like, honestly, it's a great cost to be a part of this church just simply because of our, our kids and the commitments we have to our kids. It's so much easier to go somewhere where they have a professional kids staff where you don't have to like think about it. You know that like my kids are going to be entertained and taken care of. I mean, Ryan, I don't know if you can relate to this. I don't have to like bring crafts every week. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I can just drop them off. Maybe once, a, maybe once a quarter I have to endure an announcement from the front where they're trying to get me to volunteer, but I just ignore that, and then they go away. <laughs> <laughs> and they still provide the service for me. Yeah. That's just one example, right? One example, right? Um, also, too, I just want to, I want to mention, I want to mention that. I also mention patriarchy because we have this desire to empower and be in, be in uh, ministry with women. And unless we name patriarchy as something that works against that, we are going to, as a man, I am going to completely miss what I need to do in order to help women step into leadership. To, it's probably even the wrong way to say it, to be an advocate and an ally for them in leadership. Right? Um, I mean, I've had conversations just this week with women who are like, the mountain of cultural scripts and obstacles and other things that are just sort of like, like, not even overt, just sort of haranguing like in an implicit way in our culture. Yeah. Like we have to intentionally confront that and name that or else we will not transcend it. Mm-hmm. We will not overcome it. So I think that the center out model with these practices and maybe others helps us confront two of the principalities and powers in our world. If I can use the word demonic forces. That are, that are set up against the kingdom of God, that hold the church and Christians captive. Um, and if we're gonna, if we're going to engage in any quote culture war, which I hate that, like I'm going to war against these, personally, in my life. All right, thoughts, questions. What's this stir for you? What do you notice? How does this comport with your experience or not? What gets you excited or scared? Because we 
want to do food well, you know, or whatever, like all these sorts of things that we have and kind of figuring out what our desires are and naming those because those are important, but at the same time also trying to put those up to not just like how can we just benefit the community, but also participate with the community, I feel like is a better word. Yeah. It's not just, yes. it doesn't seem like it's like, okay, we just have to give up what we want and just put it forth. Take it and do what you will with it. It's more like a, how are you also involved in it kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's and a good thing. That pull is really hard. Yeah. It's, it's challenging. Yeah. Yeah, so consumerism doesn't mean that it's wrong to buy something on sale or to get a good deal, you know, at Target. Like, oh, this is great. Even though, I mean, you could say, you know, what are the costs of buying clothes this cheap, right? I mean, some kid in Indonesia probably created this shirt, right, for me. Um, so there is some of that. But, um, but I think what you're naming there is the, the temptation or the principality, the power at work in our culture is to, like, take that mindset of getting a good deal and like distribute it throughout all of life. So that's how I think about my relationships now. Especially like, that's how I think about my relationships, basically, is as a consumer. Is this church like doing it for me? You know, is this neighborhood doing it for me? Are my friends doing it for me? Or do I need, you know what I mean? Or do I need to get some new friends, basically. So, so the, it, it's basically a relationship with other people as an it, as, a, as an object. Right, that you're you're depersonalized, dehumanized. Uh, I look at you as like an equation of what you can give to me, and that's relentless. Like that, the the temptation to do that is relentless, and it is very countercultural to kind of buck against that trend by asking the kinds of questions you guys are asking. Like, there's something more at work here than how do we get the great house that we want at the price that we want? Because location is like, well, there's you know. Do we have to move 20 miles away from everybody we know? Is that worth it? You know, so that's good. I like that. But like nothing that sees us except for what is common to humans. Like, these aren't new gods. No. These are old gods. These are the same gods. Yeah. Yeah, and Scott, what you're saying is important. Like <clears throat> I've got all these desires. Of course, they've been formed and shaped by consumerism. Right? We'd be silly to think that we have some objective perspective that's, even if we hate consumerism, you know, we're still caught up in it. So what do we do? Well, we either go after our desires, go for it, right? Your best house now. Or, or, or like what you said is like, we, we start hating our desires. We, we go to war on our desires. And in fulfilling and killing are awful strategies. They're sub-Christian and they don't have enough Jesus in them, right? So what we do is, this is why naming the Kairos is so important. I've got this desire. Can you help me discern it? Yeah. Right. Naming it, facing it, owning it. Yeah. Breakthrough happens. And you know that. I mean, you've experienced that in your life. Right? I've had conversations with some of you in this room in the last two weeks where you're like naming desire and all heaven breaks loose. Yeah. Other, yeah, other thoughts? I just want to say that I appreciate how much... Um, as regards to the patriarchy thing, how much work you guys have done in that, because you guys doing your work in that has helped me dismantle so much bad news in my own life mm-hmm. that I wasn't even aware of, which being somebody who's like, would I consider myself a feminist, I still wasn't aware of like the layers yeah. of stuff that, that is how that has affected me and the way that I approach like ministry and leadership in other areas of 
Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if you guys weren't so aware of it mm-hmm. and just like confessing it yourselves. Mm-hmm. That's encouraging. I'll say too, like uh, one of these conversations that Matt and I had this week was for an upcoming podcast, uh, Graduate Leadership. And um, I think the thing that I realized as we, we interviewed a, a two people, male and female, who are like ministering together. They're not married, but they're, they're ministering together and learning how to work it out. And I think the thing I realized is that there's probably a lot more work to do. I mean, I know that there's tons of work to do for us here locally. Because the, those things, you don't realize what they are until you confront them, until you try to work together and you realize, oh, this is a script that, this is an old script, you know? Um, so they named all kinds of stuff that was so helpful, you know, to kind of, that they're realizing. And they're fully committed to it, right? Theologically and philosophically, like, they're fully committed to it. And they, like, are saying, it is hard work to have to keep owning our kairoses as we bump up against consumerism and patriarchy. All the ways that we've been shaped and formed. So, anyway, that's encouraging. But I also want to say, like, we'll, ha- we'll have a lot of work to do as And the center out perspective means that, like, I don't even know the work we have to do. Right. Yeah. Until it happens. Until it, until it happens. A. B. Until there's women who are as empowered as I am here, who can help me in ways I don't know any help. Like that's crucial for our church. It's not just crucial for me. It's not just a nice idea. It's not just like a. <clears throat> something I'm crusading for. No, it's like crucial for our church. Does that make sense? Like we can't, we can't actually be the body we need to be until the body is the body, becoming the body of the other. Mm-hmm. You know, to whether it's a woman in our church or women in our church, you can say to Ben or I, like, help me understand why you said this. Or I don't, I don't get why you're doing this. Or when you said this, I had a chaos. Like that, we need to be that church. I was, I wanted to share. Um, yeah. I really appreciate like the openness that for the community that this kind of perspective brings because I know like I've been involved in a lot of churches because we've moved so many times. And I've prayed a lot about ordination over the mm-hmm. last few years, but just always felt like God was like, no, 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 not in this place, or maybe no at all, but not, um, yet. not yet. Yeah, like I kind of had that sense, but um, but then when you're a part of a church, and then I always felt like, no, I just like want to be faithful with this space that I've been given, and you know where I am right now. But then being part of different churches, so many times I felt a sense of like at the end of the day whatever you're bringing to the table as a lay person, whatever, it doesn't matter what, you know, your education, your gifts, whatever, it's always about like this feeling like the small group of leaders or the pastor like protecting the power they have. Mm-hmm. And so there's not really like an invitation or space for people to really serve and be part of the church and have a voice like in the same way that, that those small group of people have a voice. Yes. And so, and clearly like scripturally, I don't believe that that's the way the church should be. So I think when I came um, just to be part of this church, I sensed that immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's something that the church, this church does well. Like, I, I could already tell, wow, like there's space for people to serve, there's space for people to use their gifts, and people are doing it, and people are growing, you know? And 
Um, I've been part of churches that have done that well, but I've been part of a lot of churches that haven't. Yeah. So I just really appreciated that. That's good. Yeah. things that come to mind uh, for me. One is like pushing against patriarchy and leading in this way. Like there is a trust that there is such a thing as like mutual flourishing. Like the person and the church flourish at the same time. Does that make sense? I think that the consumeristic mindset leads us sometimes to believe that if I'm being asked to serve in kids ministry or something like that, that there's this uh, negotiation that's happening but like oh man this being at this church is now costing you more right and again that's the limited sum of power and the limited sum I would say also of flourishing that's a view that says uh, I'm not flourishing as much if I'm asked to sort of serve in some way right um, and so I think you said this earlier Matt where like as people are called to serve the community and as they're called into leading um, we trust that that's actually for, you, like, you're not a resource to be expended on behalf of this organization that's now going to flourish. No, like, we together are flourishing. Like, that's our trust, and that's our assumption. Um, and that's why it's important to own Kairos, is because if, you know, if there is any time where you do feel that you're being called into something that is, that, you know, you are feeling like a resource, well, that, you know, we want to create enough space to say, hey, like, this feels exploitative to me. And we say, okay, let's talk about that. Because it's not our heart. So, But there's a trust there, right, that in the kingdom economy, the economy of the kingdom, like, we all flourish together. You know, and that, that we can trust that that's actually what's happening. That's what we want to have happen. Yeah, so. and sometimes flourishing looks like joy and yeah. tiptoeing through tulips of Jesus. And sometimes it looks like walking through the valley of the shadow of death as we confront our crap. Yeah. Both are both are like unto flourishing. Right. right. Yeah. It doesn't mean that everything's rosy. Yeah. In fact, this way of leading and being the church is a lot messier. Yeah. It's just it is. Yeah. But yeah. I'll say too, like structurally, we have a bishop as well, and you might be wondering where the bishop fits in. And uh, as we were talking about Ephesians four, uh, I think the bishop, the bishop is kind of like Paul writing the letter to the Ephesian church, right? He's not actively involved, like most of you guys have never met Todd Hunter, our bishop. Uh, he's not actively involved in the life of our parish, our, our congregation. Um, but there is a sense in which we're connected to something larger through, through, through a bishop. And I think at their best, bishops function like apostles, writing letters to churches, encouraging, you know, keep going. You know, and you know, in the rare case, like, hey, Corinthians, there's like four things we need to chat about here. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? If there's something like happening, um, uh, I find it comforting to know that there's a bishop who can, who, you know, you guys all actually do have access to to say like, hey, something's going on here that we need to chat about. So that's kind of how I see the bishop uh, involved in this. You know, it's kind of this outside voice, this person who carries some authority in our community um, and connects us to the larger church. And the historic church. Yep. So. so, so maybe to summarize, and then we can move. You have a lot of to do today, just to wrap things up. Just to summarize, um, power. We want to inhabit power differently here. It's really encouraging 
Andrea, just to hear like your intuition the first time you came. Really encouraging to hear, and I've heard this from other people, like there's something different about like leadership and power here. Yeah. It's really encouraging because honestly, like we're, we're hacking through the Amazon jungle here, people. Like it's not like Ben and I spent 40 years in a church that did this really well, and now we're just trying to reproduce it. Like we're really just, we're hacking through the jungle, and so we're going to make mistakes, you know? I mean, I've made mistakes. I've like, like I've got anger problems. I've told you about this, and some of you have experienced that. Like it's just come out of me, right? So we're going to make mistakes. And Sharon will tell you about it too. Sure. <laughs> just giving things. Yes, but speaking of anger, <laughs> she always wins. Uh, no, so like we're going to make mistakes, and it's not perfect. But it's really encouraging to hear you say that. And so here's what I want to challenge you with, like. Um, couple things. One, uh, if you can name what those artifacts are, that's incredibly helpful for us as we seek to replicate our community. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't often, like, you know, when you're, when you're living your life, you don't often notice things, but then people who don't have your perspective can say, hey, you're doing this all the time. And you're like, really? I am? I didn't know that. Like, so as you come in and as you interface with the way power is held here, if you can name this as a concrete or discrete practice or posture that I've seen, then we can like actually replicate it. It becomes not just unconscious competence that we have, it becomes transformational competence we can give away. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So we need that. Two, uh, we're like fiercely committed to empowering women here, which um, is like in a, in a conceptual way is probably awesome for women, but like pretty soon what I discover is it scares the shit out of women. <laughs> like, like they're like, oh wow, that's great, and then, and then we're like, no, we mean you, and they're like, oh no, no, I mean women, yes, but not me. <laughs> so like all that to say, like, um, like, what? It's not an ideal for us, right? It's not this. It's not an ideal. Yeah. Like we're ruthlessly committed to it, and um, we need your help. Like. Your, like your, your willingness to say yes to God as he empowers you in your authority is not just for you. It's for us. It's for, it's, the, it's for me. It's for Ben. It's for Ben and I. But it's for our church. Mm-hmm. Like the body of Christ. This is how it reaches maturity, the fullness of Christ, to fill the head who fills all things. This is how that happens. Is by you consenting to the work of God. So Ben and I aren't just abstractly committed to that, but we're, we're discreetly, personally committed to that, and we want to be an advocate for that in any way we can. I think, I probably shouldn't say it anymore, but just, yes. Amen. All right, amen? Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray. Uh, all right, Ben, you want to talk about membership and yeah. tithing? Yes. Uh, uh, not tithing, giving. Giving. Um, so yeah, so, so first of all, membership, we had a good discussion last week, uh, about some of our hangups about that word, um, and kind of how we think about that. Um, so you can listen, listen to the recording from last week, uh, if you want like a fuller discussion of that. Um, I don't want to necessarily reiterate too much of it, but, um, in essence, like I think at its best, membership is sort of like, uh, the metaphor there is that we are members of one body. 
And what does it look like for us to be intentional? Instead of, I think the lack of membership, I, I, I trust a lot of you are like all in. You've, you've, you know, you come to this class, you know, you serve in ministries and you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. But um, there's something about naming things explicitly and making promises, you know, that like, this is why marriage is, you know, an institution that makes sense. So, um, so there's something about that. Um, and so we've been trying to figure out how to frame it in such a way that it's more than like, hey, I'm going to pay my membership dues and get some benefits for my membership. You know what I mean? Like belonging to a golf club or, you know, every year you got to pay your HOA. Well, I guess I do like that they take the garbage. So, you know, well, you know, it's more than that, right? There are these promises, these commitments that we're making to one another. And marriage, it's a, marriage is a good metaphor for it. It's not as intense as marriage, obviously. Um, but it's a good metaphor for it that we're publicly sort of declaring this is this is our community and this is what that means uh, for us. And so we've we've uh, you know we've we've looked at some other churches, some other Anglican churches, and how they do this. And um, the first draft is basically uh, ten ten commitments um, that we that we think let's make these to one another um, and you know see see how that lands. Right, but we want to discern this and see like how does this land. So let me just—I I, don't—I don't have handouts for you, um, but uh, let me just read through these and see if you guys have any thoughts or questions about. It. Okay, so this is um, what we're thinking about. Put on your listening ears. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> some, something like that. Yeah. My kids are a little older, so my oh, phrase, my my parental parental phrases are good. That's what Sharon always says to me, though. <laughs> <laughs> are you listening to me? I am. Are you listening? <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, having put my trust in Christ alone as my Savior and Lord, being in agreement with the vision and practices of this church, I believe I've been led by God to join this church family by God's grace and by the Holy. Uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I commit to the following with God's help. I will share in the life and the mission of the table by actively participating in the vision, mission, and practices of the table. I mean, so that we could just say that that's it. You know what I mean? Like, because we, we try to lay out our practices pretty pretty clearly. But, but to make it even more clear. Number two, praying for its growth and its health, um, its people and its leaders. Uh, three, giving generously to the table to participate in her life and mission. Uh, four, following godly leadership, spending to their care and correction. Five, resolving conflict and pursuing reconciliation with others. Six, participating in weekly worship gatherings and receiving the Holy Eucharist. Seven, practicing daily prayer and reading the Holy Scripture. Eight, uh, practicing community life and embodied witness with others. Nine, participating in ongoing catechesis, learning, and discipleship. And ten, actively serving and or leading teams, groups, and ministries at the table. Um, as we were talking today, I wondered if, uh, I don't know if it's covered in there, but uh, I feel like a big part of what we're talking about is like a commitment to owning our kairoses, right? Um, a commitment to kind of this way of being together where, and that, that could fall under resolving conflict and pursuing reconciliation. That's essentially the method, right? That's how we do it is we say, here's my kairos. I'm irritated by this. You know, help me discern this. Um, but anyway. So anyway, those are just ten quick things that we threw together. I don't, I don't know if that they didn't, you know, come on stone tablets on Mount Sinai, so they're not, they're not, you know, etched in stone. But do you guys have any thoughts or questions hmm. as you think about, you know, signing up for something like that? Anything come to mind? What comes to mind for you? 
Nothing. Right. Something comes to mind for yeah. me. Yes, ma'am. I mean, I think that. Uh, I think we're in a new we're in a new world of church attendance, like worship attendance. Yeah. Not only because of the mobility of people and just how we we just travel a lot now and we have things going on in our life, but also there isn't this like cultural guilt that if I don't go to church on Sunday. I'm going to feel it all week, and I don't want that bad feeling, so I'm going to go spend 59 minutes somewhere I don't want to be. I'd rather do something else, so I don't have to feel that way all week, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I think I'm just kind of resigned to, like, I don't want people to be here out of guilt, and I also don't want people to, like, not enjoy life, that they would, like, go enjoy life somewhere on a Sunday, you know? So I think we need to be clear about the commitment and the freedom of, Weekly worship gatherings and receiving Eucharist. Right. Because I, I don't have any desire to sort of like take back Sunday morning for God. You know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that's a question I have. I mean, I don't, I'm one of the pastors here. Yeah. yeah. They're hard to. Yeah, it's hard to just listen to them, right? So, mm-hmm. and we can, like, I can send an email to just say, hey guys, here's the, here's the thing we're playing around with. Let us know if you have comments as you read it. So. so that's one I have. Uh, and then, um, like, what happens if I don't pray and read scripture on Wednesday and Friday? That was the one like, that what, what happens if that doesn't happen? Yeah. So, like, yeah. so for me, like, um, we have enough rule followers and people who are, like, they want to, they want to know the expectations and they want to make it happen. Mm-hmm. That if I, <laughs> God bless, I mean, yeah, but I'm just saying, I'm speaking, like, for me, I'm like, Daily prayer and reading scripture. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, uh, but but for others of us, I think there would be like a deep like I don't know if I could be a member. Yeah. Because I can't. I'm in a season right now where I'm really committed to God, but I I can't pick up scriptures and read them like I used to. Yeah. And so like I, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I want to make sure that our language leaves room for the diversity of a, of committed faith. Rather than sort of like regimenting, like you got to get online, you got to get on board here. And I don't know if there's a way to articulate that because I think it's the same way with the Bible, right? It's like, okay, we all know these are the Ten Commandments, and we all know these are like things we're supposed to shoot for, but we all know that every day we're not going to live up to that, Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't know if there, I mean, I feel like maybe ultimately that's a good thing to to reach for, but we know, like, okay, today I didn't read my Bible, but. I'm not kicked out of the church. God's not mad at me. And I don't know, but I don't know how to articulate that. These are important things to like be committed to, even though we know we're not going to 100%. Right. But this language makes it feel like, oh, if I don't, you have to break it Yeah. Okay. I made this vow. I made this commitment. And now I'm. Yeah. That's really good feedback. Yeah. It makes me think of a few weeks back. I can't remember which week it was, but we were talking about like our orientation, people's orientation is it, are we moving towards something? Right. Yeah. And so I wonder if that language would be That's a good more idea. helpful of not like, you have to meet these 10 things before you can be right. a member, but like right. orientation should be aiming in this direction, you should be yeah. moving in this direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea on the language. Yeah, because I, I realize I read these and I assume flexibility. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna try that. I'm already committed to those things. Even though like this morning I slept in and did not pray. You know, true, true story. 
I'm really tired. I think I especially dealt with some flexibility though because I'm coming from tradition where it was like these were the things that you had to do. Yeah. Like, and one of them, was, like I've talked before, like you couldn't drink, you had to uh-huh. have, like you had to do these things. Yeah. And it's like you could be, you know, like you couldn't, you couldn't smoke and like all these different things, yeah. or gamble up or whatever. Yeah. So if you do those things, yeah. like you can't be a member of, like you've broken your membership. Yeah. And so totally, you've broken the rules, so now you can't belong. Right. Right. I think I think uh, that's really good. I. I think I would like to try to craft language that would communicate that more clearly. Yeah. That that these are uh, these are commitments we're making, but there's the assumption that there's just there's just tons of grace, you know. Mm-hmm. That you know, I think what would disqualify you from being a member is if, if you looked at one of those things and said, like, I will never, you know, like <laughs> I hate this one, you know. And it's like, well, okay, well it's, you know, then why do you want to be part of things here, you know what I mean? But, but maybe uh, creating some language that's a little bit more, that has the flexibility, uh, a little bit more of kind of the heart of what we, what we mean in it. The other thing I noticed, and I don't know if it's not there, I just didn't read it in there, but you're like the mutual submission and communal discernment, I didn't see that in there. It's not in there. And I, I mean, reconcil- it's hard to do reconciliation without those things. But it, like it's not clearly stated, and it's you talk about leadership, but you also that was the other thing that gave me. I would sign up for that only because I really trust you guys as leaders. But like it's not it's yeah. not dictated as mutual submission there, so it's like yeah. you have to submit also. Super to like, important, yeah. Super important. So that one that one kind of rubbed me because I was yeah. like, well, Good. if it wasn't you guys, I don't know how I feel. So about this that. is the, this is the danger of just adopting somebody else's like membership covenant that. You, rec- you realize through these voices, like, oh, this doesn't really reflect yeah. kind of our value and like what we've said we want to be about. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. We're, and I think, I think ultimately, like I said, everything could probably be included in number one, but it's maybe worth spelling those things out mm-hmm. in a bit more And the community of discernment also ties into the whole, like you talked about doing the talking about Kairos moments, like that, t- those like tie together. So if you can even, yeah. Yeah, like part of being committed to the yeah. body is mm-hmm. like I'm going to relate in a certain way mm-hmm. with you all, with y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's really good. That's super helpful. Well, we'll uh, I'll try to do some edits, and I'd, I'd love to just pass it back out to you guys to see what you think. Is that cool? Cool. All right. Uh, just a quick note on uh, tithing, giving, and/or giving slash. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I would have loved to hear this conversation. That Here's what happened. Here's my memory. <laughs> I don't it. You don't remember it? So, that, so we had a great... So you didn't ruin my... But I, I remember having a conversation. Oh, I remember Becky because I can't... My wife will let me know. <laughs> love you, Sharon. <laughs> no, here's what happened. So, um, I've got this... I've got this allergy to legislating a 10% tithe for New Testament Christians. Okay? There are churches that will preach on this, that like, if you're not giving 10% of your income before taxes, gross. right, your gross income, then, then you are in violation of God's commands. And I just want to state that unequivocally. That's crap. Okay? The New Testament ethic in Jesus which we see in the book of Acts, isn't about like giving God 10% and then you get to do whatever you want with the 90, but it's about offering God the 100%. Like you becoming actually mature and capable of, of, of 
handling God's resources in a wise, loving, generous way. So God doesn't want to make faithful tithers. He wants to make generous people. So it's not that tithing... It's not that tithing is wrong or bad. It's that it's actually like training wheels to generosity. So if you legislate training wheels, we'll never become generous. We'll just become like these legalistic rule followers. Okay? That's my mini rant. So you asked a question about about tithing in our church. And I just kind of went on a little rant about how tithing is like not what – I'm not going to call people to tithe. I want people to give generously, blah, 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 blah. And my wife is like, you just told somebody who's been giving money to our church that she should not give more money to our church. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I said that. And she's like, no, I'm pretty sure you just told Becky to stop giving to the table. <laughs> and, uh, and, so, and so I just want to – maybe this is just between you and me. <laughs> uh, I just want to be clear that uh, like, like we see giving to, to the table as giving through the table. And as a discipline and a practice of, of being generous and like living in a, in a community that shares resources together. Yeah. So, um, but I'm never going to, I'm not going to, Ben, like, but I'm not going to, I'm, just I'm not going to, I'm not going to leverage like the law on you so that you give out of guilt. But rather, I'm going to hold out the vision of the kingdom and our life together and say, this is the way that you practice generosity. And we practice sort of holding all things in common, right? I mean, in a, in a, in a 21st century capitalistic like, society, right? We all move into a commune. This is a way for us to share resources yeah. together. So I guess that's, that's what I think yeah. I needed to communicate better. And I think I needed to just say for our church that we, we do want to invite people to give. In fact, we've talked about doing like a... Like a like as because giving either people just give sort of out of like obligation or duty or give other places and so I don't really need to give to the table because I give to um, you know world, what, vision. world vision or what, wherever uh, we've talked about doing sort of like a like a pledge drive like hey like what can you commit to giving to the table this year as a demonstration or just as a yeah. as a Demonstration of your sort of commitment here and, and how you want to train generosity. Yeah. But, so that's, I mean, that's all the rambling thing that you can say. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, it kind of captures it. As essentially, 2 Corinthians 9 is our theology of giving, right? And Paul does this throughout the New Testament. He calls various people to giving, but you see the way that he does it is never like this guilt trip. It's never like... God's going to mm-hmm. get you. Hallelujah. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. It's yeah, a little sneaky. Shame, honor, and shame. I call it honor, and shame. Yeah, yeah, honor, But he's never trying to hold people over the fires of hell, you know, and say, God's going to abandon you if you don't, if you don't do this. Um, but he is calling people into, into generosity. And we trust, again, that there's a mutual flourishing. The church flourishes when we're generous. And we also flourish you know, when we're generous, when we're, you know, giving into something that is actually part of our life. Uh, together, you know, and so even the idea of a pledge drive to me is like a way of living out, like Paul saying to the Corinthians, like each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not under compulsion, not you know unwillingly, but willingly giving what you've decided to give, and it's a way of calling people into the discipline of instead of just giving what's left over at the end of the month or eh, you know giving occasionally, you give intentionally, 
let's decide. You know, what, what's the Lord calling us to? What Paul means is at least 10% before taxes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, so we don't preach tithing as this blunt expectation, you know, that's a matter of obedience. Um, but the truth is, in our economy, the middle class is getting pinched further and further. A tithe would be a great goal to shoot for. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's a great goal to shoot for. Um, I, I think most people uh, would struggle, you know? For most people, a tithe is a pinch. It's a sacrifice. There's a, there's a pinch to it, you know? Um, but it's not just a, a blunt expectation. So we want to call people to giving, sharing resources together, um, being able to kind of do that as a community. So, yeah, I think that's probably all we need to say. Any questions, though, about this? Or maybe you just got some things you need to get out of you about it. Like, we, we have a lot of baggage, I think, yeah. in the church and in our culture about giving and our money and all that. So if you need to vent or dump or whatever, go for it. Even if you have questions about what we just said and you don't agree. Yeah, sure. I think that I have this, like, tendency to disagree with you, but it's not because of my own volition. It's just because of where, I, like, the background I come from. And so I don't, I don't disagree with you. It's just really hard for me to accept that's the way it's viewed. What's hard? What's hard about accepting? Um, because I come from a, like a family and a church where it was like it was so important to tie. Like it was so ingrained to tie and yeah. to, to do the ten percent. The ten percent. Like I remember as, a, as like a kid having like questions and like when I get twenty dollars for my birthday, I'm like, am I supposed to tie it on this? Yeah. Like, do I get to buy myself something? Do I have to give Jesus something as well? And if I don't do that, I might be sinning. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I remember even uh, there was like a period when um, I think like I, like I hadn't really been like regularly going to church, and a family member commented to me, "Lord, they're like, well, as long as you're tithing somewhere, that's okay." Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's awful, Becky. If if some of you want to quit coming here and still give, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's... It was, yeah. like a, it was like a long-term not going. It was like a, I had been like kind of in between trying to find a place sure. yeah. and hadn't found yeah. a place yet. So um, is the concern there, like, as long as your tithing is okay? Like, what's... Like, is it a fear of, like, I'm sinning? Is that what, is that what the fear is? Like, what's the fear um, of not giving the 10%? What question. would happen? Um, I was processing Kairos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's one of those those rules that has just always been there. Yeah. And so um, it feels weird to let it go. Yeah. Which is probably true for a lot of other things in my life as right. well. A sense of security around it. Like it just and just the way that, yeah like the way that it's taught has been taught to me and. Uh, if I'm doing this, I know I'm good. Like it's like you're just you're supposed to do that. It's just yeah. so ingrained in me that this is the right yep. thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I've and been able to let go of that in some other areas of my life. Um, and there are other areas where I'm like I just don't even know. But that's one of them that until asking that I was I had no question about it. I just never yeah. I never heard you guys talk about it. And so yeah. I was like I wonder what like what your thoughts are yeah. about this. Yeah. When he said like what he said, I was flabbergasted. Yeah. 
what kind of people are you? <laughs> <laughs> I think my wife picked that up. Just related to giving, can you maybe, because I mean, I think it goes back to it's not being talked about, like, um, I know in other churches we have like the budget in here, like how is how we, but just out of curiosity, not because, mm-hmm. not for any specific reason, but I'm just yeah. curious, like how does the church, like, I don't know, do yeah. you have the funds or I mean, like, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah. Just as a curiosity. Yeah. Um, so this, I mean, it gets into, we do, uh, the other part of our leadership that we didn't talk about, but we need to, is um, that we are going to have a, a vestry. That's no. what Anglicans call Anglicans it. have the best words for church things. Yeah. <laughs> Vestries, curates. Curates. Acolytes. Acolytes. I want, uh, I, want to, I want us to have our own building at some point so that we can hire a sextant. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite word. That's it. So anyway, uh, but a vestry is kind of like a, it's not really like a board of elders because we have a bishop, so it's a little different, um, but it, it is a, um, a leadership council, you could say, um, and so we want to get more and more people involved uh, in that. Um, but early on in a, in a church plant, oftentimes, uh, and this is true for us, that um, I, don't know, I don't know what the percentage is. I haven't looked at it. Sharon probably not. Um, She's our treasurer. Yeah, uh, but uh, but Matt and I do get a stipend from you know from that, and that's again that's part of you know the we're freeing up people who are called and gifted to spend time you know investing in the community that they uh, would have to spend time you know getting a job to do some other stuff for. Um, but there's other stuff we give. There's a percentage that we give to C4SO for church planting. Um, there's a there's five percent that we kind of reserve for our own mission and church planting efforts, and then another five percent goes to C4SO, uh, which is our diocese, um, which is a church planting diocese. So, so those are those are two things, and then there's just there's administrative stuff and you know, all that kind of. Pay rent here. Yeah. We pay like five hundred bucks a month to be here, which is dirt cheap. Um, but our giving isn't that great, so 500 bucks a month is a lot of what we have. Yeah. I think Ryan gets a stipend. Is that true? No. Not yet. So one of the things we'd like to do in 2018, uh, thanks for bringing this up, Ryan, is, uh, I asked for you, Ryan. is, uh, is like, you know, Ryan puts in a lot of work organizing and uh, even, you know, cutting things out in our time here. Like yeah. we love, so we love to create a stipend for Ryan that yeah. basically just um, it's it's not like you're giving us a service so you get this cash, but it's I we know that you're taking time away from how you could be making money to do this, so we want to free up that time. Like we want to honor that time. Yeah. I think we'd like to do that for Ryan. We'd like to do that for if Lord willing, if we find someone to sort of steward the music, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe so that Ben doesn't, um, Ben isn't the primary person doing that. Yeah, I think, I think, and I think rather than me just talking about all the financial commitments I think we should have, like not having salary take up more than 50% of our budget, you know, some, I think those are the kinds of decisions that I would like a vestry that's empowered, it's empowered for, for us to make those decisions together. That makes sense. Uh, and so, like, one of the reasons we haven't done a giving drive is because it feels a bit, it's a bit awkward for me to do a giving drive when there isn't a vestry yet. Yeah. I'm just speaking for myself. Like, it feels like in order to do a giving drive, I want there to be 
even more, accountability is the wrong word, investment, like not financial, but like relational investment in our budget and how we're spending money so that we're in agreement. So it's not just Ben and I being like, trust us. But it could be like a group of people are like, yeah, this is how we've discerned this budget. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we do, I mean, just to be clear too, like, uh, we, we get gifts from outside as well. We've got some support that comes from the diocese, um, you know, so that, that kind of thing. And I, I don't know what the percentage is, you know, in terms of our, our overall budget and how much comes from local giving. But one of our goals as the church grows is to increase that local investment, you know, so it's not, we're not relying so much on people who believe in the mission but who don't live here and are part of this community. We want, we want to increasingly become kind of a self-sustaining community. Even though there's no, I don't have any problem at all with. I mean, you see these, you see this model. This is Paul collecting money from the Macedonians to take to Jerusalem, right? He's like, hey, they're having a rough time, but we need to give them some money. So he collects these gifts and sends it over there. It's okay that the church in Jerusalem isn't self-sustaining at this point, right? There's economic factors that make it impossible at that point. So, so anyway, that's a that's a that's a little bit unusual. Cool. We probably need to go. Yeah, we need to go. Yes. All right, so no class next week. This is the last. We're done. This is the last table one-on-one class. Um, but look look out on email slash group me for stuff about beginnings and endings, Zoom call class. Yes, uh, and confirmation. We're still trying to nail down. We're going to have an assistant bishop. Uh, it's a little bit hot. Uh, but an assistant bishop is going to come out. We're still trying to figure out the dates. Very likely confirmation will be on a Friday night. Although he might be able to do it, I don't know. They were saying traditionally Todd did him on Friday nights, but that's because he's a pastor and he needs to get back for Sunday. So. so anyway, we'll have more information about that and membership and the vestry and all that kind of stuff. Can I pray for us? Great. God, help us to lead in such a way that um, our commitment to your cross, Jesus, and your life isn't simply aspirational uh, or abstract, but uh, help it to impact the way we organize and the way we relate and the way we love each other and um, God we pray for the flourishing of our church and your body and this community we're in mm-hmm. uh, Minneapolis that um, how we lead it would be a healing and empowering witness to your resurrection we ask this in Jesus name Amen